0: You're listening to Agile Next, the next-generation Agile talk show. I'm Daniel Gulo. And I'm Stephen Forte.
1: Each week, we ask industry leaders to share their past experiences with Agile practices and to provide their insights into where Agile is heading to next.
0: The show is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and by visiting our website at www.agilenext.tv. This episode is brought to you by Applebrook Consulting and Fresco Capital. Whatever your agile needs, Applebrook Consulting can help with training and coaching. Visit our website at www.apple-brook.com. Fresco
1: Capital is a global venture capital firm focusing on entrepreneurs building
0: global businesses. Visit our website at fresco.vc. Episode 35, March 16th, 2017. Today on our show, we have Kim Brainerd. Kim is the co-chair of the Global Scrum Gathering in San Diego, as well as the founder of Agile Brain, a consulting firm which specializes in coaching and training. She's also involved in an agile transformation at the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board and the founder of Santa Pays It Forward. Welcome to the show, Kim.
2: Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Daniel.
0: So I noticed your background is actually in sociology, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Agile to begin with? What what brought you to the Agile community? And and you're clearly passionate about Agility, so tell us a little bit about that.
2: Absolutely. Um. Actually, my I I began uh, Agile when I really didn't even know it. When I was in college, actually, I, I attended Towson University, and I went back to my old roots in Pennsylvania. I had an opportunity as a for an internship at a prison, a male prison. And I then became a correctional officer at the male prison, which was very interesting because I don't usually fit the stereotype of a correctional officer. Um, I'm about 5'4", blonde hair, and I have a pretty big personality. Um, And when I went into the prison, it was interesting that we got together and in, in a morning meeting or afternoon meeting, it was a shift change, uh, change meeting. And we would talk about the inmates, about uh, what had happened that day, what needs to be done uh, further that day and any issues that we were having. And never realized that that was kind of what you call a stand up. And it intrigued me that the communication was was essential in becoming a successful team. The correction officers were really a team and interesting that we worked alone, but we, we needed to be a team. We needed to learn to communicate effectively to, in order to produce a safe environment. So that was really one of my first experiences uh, in Agile and in the practice of, of having a type of stand up where we uh, communicate effectively and work with one another in order to deliver a safe environment. And then throughout the years, I uh, worked as a master scheduler. Um, Again, you asked about sociology. Sociology is about communication and really working with individuals and understanding individuals' mindsets. And I became a master scheduler in the government and working with certain uh, teams, executives, project management, program management. And as a master scheduler, I was spending so much time going back and forth between the the type of teams, whether it was the executives or down on the team level. And I decided that wouldn't it be more effective to build these schedules and improve how we're putting these schedules together if we all began talking to one another. It, It would be wonderful if the developers would actually talk with Um, our end users, and the end users would tell uh, the teams what they wanted, and that way we were able to prioritize the schedule, and it was an 8,000 line schedule, and we we actually saved about a year's worth of time, and by communicating and improving how we communicated, uh, about a year later, we began to implement the stand-up. And then the government began to catch on about Agile and said, you know, we should really use this. Uh, What was interesting is we actually didn't um, ask them why. And it's really important to know why. So I began to, I I took a certification to become a scrum master and and then a certification to become a product owner and the rest is history. But I, I really loved what I was doing and I was passionate about what I was doing because again, I keep focusing back on communication, but to me, it's the most essential piece about agile.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting about, you know, agile in the government space. Um, I've, you know, I've had experience with U S postal service and IRS and, and treasury. And it's, it's actually pretty surprising because a lot of people have this stereotype of, of uh, all government workers as kind of like robots, but, when you actually start to get down in the trenches and talking to people, you know, the folks that work for government agencies and and so on, they're just as interested in innovation as the rest of us. It just um, you know, for various different reasons, these entities have laws and stuff that they have to adhere to and and some constraints by in that respect. But as you mentioned, you know, the the government is trying to become more efficient and cost conscious and and look for ways to extend you know, their abilities to, to meet needs of, of the people and so on.
2: Absolutely. It's interesting. Um, I have to go back to the government is, is interested in adopting Agile, but it's, it's, they're, they're so massive. It's, it's how can we adopt Agile? And what I've found to be most helpful with their transformation is breaking them down into smaller teams, understanding their roles, understanding where the program management fits, understanding what where they fit into the ceremonies and that's been a really important in improving how they deliver.
1: And as you're breaking them down into these you know smaller functional units that seems to me you know you know if i think of the government as is just like a big giant enterprise and the big the bigger the enterprise is the slower they move and the more resistant they are to change by breaking them down into those smaller units did you get any kind of um Bureaucratic or even legalistic red tape that was, um, you know, prevented that that and then you know that you had to work around.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Not just in the government at DHS, but also the PCOB. In fact, I think you've not uh, the government entities, but in the DC area itself, we're we're so used to politics, and unfortunately, that's our biggest impediment. And we're worried about pleasing everyone, and there's governance around everything. And how do you how do you actually remove that impediment. Again, going back to communication, it's getting the, having the opportunity to speak to individuals, to help them understand of why it's important for us to remove certain governance. Governance is important, but it's also important that we allow teams to make decisions, enable those teams to make decisions. And so I've, I appreciate that the, the waterfall is hard to move away from. I, I can absolutely appreciate that, what well, they call it, scrum fall. But then I, they have to appreciate that if we're not going to be agile and remove the waterfalls away, we're going to fall into a dark hole of our same patterns that we've been doing for years. And so if it wasn't working before, we need to entrust in this new framework and allow the teams to make those decisions. So one of the areas that I, I began, it was actually over at DHS, I introduced a, a charter, and I, I, I explained, here is the, the program management, of, and they, they do have governance. Think of it as the NFL. You have the owner that's sitting up in the, in the suite, having cocktails, wearing the fancy outfit, have an, in a fancy environment, and they're looking down on the team. Not looking the down on the team in a bad way, but they have Observing. that high-level overview. Yeah, they get to observe. And then you have your coach that's down there along with the assistant coach. And the coach is really the one that's – he this coach, he or she, I guess they're, in the NFL there's only male coaches, but the coach is given the ability to make those decisions. They own that team for right then and there. The the true owner is up in the owner's box, but the coach makes the decision and the team is able to to move on the field. And the value is, is when they actually kick the winning field goal. And so you have the scrum master, you have your assistant coaches who are communicating back and forth with the team, running the plays. And when you explain that interesting enough and you bring a real life scenario uh, to these individuals, they're able to see that, oh, okay, there is governance and we can do this. And we begin to actually illustrate this out on a whiteboard and, and finding ways to communicate with these individuals, these executives in the government and showing them that it's okay to give, give someone else governance at a lower level. And you as that executive will actually see delivery faster and more often. By giving them that real life story, we began to implement uh, charters to um, to show them and, and and strategize how they play a role in agile.
1: And did you see any positive externalities come out of that? Besides, you know, the obvious that there was better communication and workflow, but like, did you see anything that you didn't expect that was like a, a positive externality?
2: Interesting enough, one of the appointed officials uh, that I was working with at the time struggled and was. He found it challenging to be a silent listener and observe and enjoyed what he was seeing and being allowed to actually go down to that level, uh, attending certain calls. And then from what I hear, he uh, had his staff attend uh, Scrum Master and Product Owner courses and become certified. And then I also hear that uh, that office Well, as of a few years ago was still about four years ago is still practicing agile and and had an agile assessment and they're still improving the ways within the how they work. So because he was able to see how effective um, our organization was and he he adopted that as well within his own office. And I was trying to refrain from using names because he's an appointed official and it's actually being used higher up in the government.
1: Ah, see, I mean, that's totally cool.
2: This was actually during Bush. In fact, I met President Bush randomly when I was working out down in D.C. while I was working for DHS and I wasn't expecting it to be him. Why would President Bush be working out in a gym in a hotel in D.C. next to DHS because Usually most people recognize who the president is, but unfortunately I did not. <laughs> so I had an hour-long conversation with him.
0: That's funny. I remember when you posted that picture of, of uh, President Bush and you at the gym. Pretty amazing.
2: Telling him how he should run his government when I had no idea.
0: <laughs> but you've also had quite a bit of experience with um, various different nonprofits as well, you know, including the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. Uh, tell us a little bit about your involvement there and what you've been doing in terms of, say, cultural change. And I uh,
2: was hired at the PCOB to, to conduct an agile so assessment. On. They had been practicing agile for about three years, and it was kind of it was time to inspect and adapt to see where they really were. What they were doing was going by the book, and as most of us know, that just saying, "Hey, you have to do agile," and and we're gonna implement this Scrum framework and we're going to go buy the book, you know, that's not going to work in every organization, especially an organization that really was challenged in who their partners were, meaning their business partners were actually within the PCOB, meaning that they're lawyers and accountants. Those folks have no idea what Agile and Scrum is, and it's important to ensure that they educate them properly. And unfortunately, in the beginning, They weren't. They weren't given the tools and techniques to understand really what agile meant. Um, It it was misused and abused and kicked around, and it became a bad word within the organization. And so when I got there, I really understood there was a lot of sensitivity around agile, a lot of hate. And so I, I respected that and took a step back and decided, okay, this is really a PCOB transformation. How can the PCOB transform? into a way where everyone can work together to provide value how can we partner up communicate more effectively and instead of putting documentation and dotting our i's and crossing our t's how can we put these processes away and actually come together and work together and that was challenging for them because again we're talking about lawyers Uh, lawyers you know there's Let's reread this again and let's question everything. And I like to hide information. And one of my first product owners was actually a lawyer, a product owner that has to communicate with someone else on the other side. It's like the dark side. And one of my first challenges was getting this individual to open up and communicate with the teams, communicate with his business, meaning the other accountants, the other lawyers within the PCOB and understanding that we all need to have this shared vision. We all need to work to a common goal and we all need to understand what the requirements will, are going to be in order to come to that common goal. And so he decided that, okay, well, this is what they want and I'm going to tell IT this. And a good coach doesn't Say okay, you're wrong. That's that. That's not how it works. Even though I was dying inside to say, you know, that really we really need to maybe ask a few questions. Why maybe we should email them? Let's try to have some form of communication where we can get their buy-in. He's like, what? We don't need buy-in. Okay. So the long of that short story is we all came to the table and someone on the business said. So who made this data up? And who said this would be valuable? And it, when you brought all of the stakeholders together, it showed that Agile was important. It showed that there's a framework in place because they, implement, they implemented Scrum. But when you bring everybody to the table and you prioritize properly and you define value and you can deliver something that's valuable to everyone, and so this gentleman, it, it really opened his eyes. It was a learning experience, but it also showed me that it, you don't, as a coach, you do not provide the answer. You help guide them to the answer by helping to facilitate the stakeholders in one room for them to answer their own and do their own problem solving. So I, I, I started with the assessment. Uh, we, we actually implemented some workshops to uh, improve their communication, helped improve uh, some of their Scrum Masters facilitation skills. And then I actually worked with another consultant to uh, also work on trans- OIT transformation from a, a capability standpoint and helping them to prioritize their work. As a portfolio, it's, it's hard to prioritize your work especially at that magnitude and starting with small departments such as their program management office and and helping the program management office work in parallel with application services and through a capabilities workshop and understanding the strategic plan and everyone having that buy-in it was important that um Working with the portfolio uh, management team as well as the applications uh, team, they were able to put together a strategic plan for OIT across the organization, and now they're all working from one plan. So after the assessment, we we finalized the assessment about a year ago, and putting everything in place uh, for the, it was for 2016 was quite challenging. It was so now that we've conducted this assessment. How are we going to improve? So it was time to put together a roadmap, on, and how uh, PCAOB can can work together. And so what we've done is we have a pilot team, and we've, we're conducting workshops uh, every month where they can inspect and adapt. And you know I hate to use those bu- buzzwords, but it's true. It's really important to inspect and adapt, and understand that you're working across the organization towards the same. Vision, ensuring that we're understanding our roles, we're we're improving on how we we're shaping our roles. The workshops just enable them to understand their their roles and responsibilities, allow them to have certain use cases where they can uh, sort of role play, and through role playing, they they allow themselves to improve. And then when we go back into a, the next phase. They have those situations where they're they're in, they're they're ready. They're like soldiers on on the battleground, ready to go because they're not afraid anymore. They've had a situation where they spent two days in a workshop playing that role, and now they've had that experience to begin to implement in their day to day jobs.
1: I find it fascinating how you've had success with getting these government agencies to boil themselves down to much smaller, more highly functional and high bandwidth units. And typically, you know, what you're really describing is an agile transformation of a portion of a, a large enterprise or, the, or, the, or or a portion of the government. Um, what was the lightning strike or the bolt that got them to decide to do this? Because there wasn't like the president just called you up and said, hey, um, or, or on the treadmill next to you, for that matter, and said, hey, you know, can we get this uh, agile transformation going? So what was their what was their striking point? I'm pretty curious about that. As as you were talking, I kept thinking, like, you know, how did this get started?
2: So at the government, it's really about just getting one person excited. Once you have one person excited and and they open their mind and they understand the the whys, it's the who, what, why, where, and when. So who should be a part of this? Why should they be a part of it? When should we do it? And how should we do it? And you get one person excited. And I get—I actually don't believe that they have to be an executive level. This could be at a team level. This could be at a project management level. And I was fortunate enough when working with these individuals that it was someone at an executive level and getting their excitement, opening their eyes and opening their mind enables them to, to see the why and see the how this can be done. And so it, it's. It's almost like you know a disease. It catches on, you know, but it's a good disease it, as long as you're you're doing it right. And the, what I mean by saying right, because again, these buzzwords can be misused nowadays. There's there's sometimes a no right or wrong answer as long as you have an open mind to take the time to understand that there's a this type of framework that you can use for certain situations. And it's just about being patient and wanting to learn more. And so these individuals wanted to learn more. They had a desire to learn, to grow, to communicate. And these are certain, these are techniques that enable how to improve the way we work.
0: Yeah. And, and people underestimate, you know, they try to have some kind of uh, you know, way of predicting everything and you know there's the the con- conversation around metrics is always really huge you know how can i measure what we're doing and and ensure people are being productive you know rather than tr- trusting people and so on and they really miss the whole idea that agile is a mindset shift right it's a trying to effect a cultural change in and and get have people get back to the way they naturally work to begin with which is trying things out and, and being innovative, um, from the beginning. So that brings about the question, what do you think the importance is of culture and, and, and what do you do when you work together with an organization or individuals in terms of effecting cultural change and, and, um, thinking about it from that aspect?
2: It's Interesting that everyone says, you know, we need to change our culture. Um, I can't say I agree with that. I I think that in order to be successful, you really also need a structure. You also need, again, effective communication to understand that culture change is also going to cause an upset. Anytime there's any type of change, there's going to be an uncomfortable situation. There's gonna be uh, unhappy people. It's an upset. And culture change is good, but you need to be prepared for it and you need to provide your organization with the right knowledge. And are they ready for the mindset? Because not every organization really is prepared for that. And uh, it's unfortunate that I think there's a lot of companies out there right now that say they're going to do an agile transformation. And they go in and, and the company says to them, you know, we, wanna, we, we want to implement agile. We want, we want this transformation. Okay. Why? Why do you want this transformation? Be- well, because it's the latest and the greatest, and as we've all heard, and, and the fancy buzzwords. But, but truly, why? And honestly, before we get into a culture change, it's are we right? Is the is this company that's hire, being hired for an agile transformation? Are is the company right for them? Meaning, so such as Agile Brain, um, I should be interviewing that company because I'm not actually always the right person. I'm not always the best fit for everyone. I'm a unique individual, meaning the way that I am, the way that I work as a coach may not be the right fit for every organization. And not every organization is right for me. So I think it's it's always about asking questions, ensuring that we're communicating and and talking about um, the current culture What is the culture that you're looking for? And so, by asking those things, you begin to develop an understanding of what are their values? What is it, what's not working for them? And it's like, why are we focusing on an an agile organization, organizational culture? And are we focusing on structure? And not every organization has the structure or is willing to. And, uh, change the structure to be agile.
1: So, Kim, one of the things we love to ask on the show is where is your opinion lie with where agile is going to next? You've enlightened us with how agile is being used at large organizations and governmental agencies and the importance of the culture and, and quite frankly, some pretty controversial things, which we love. Um, so let us know, what do you, where do you think agile is going next?
2: It's going above and beyond, and uh, that that's a broad question for me i I own a nonprofit called Santa pays it forward and i've I've proven that agile is truly something that you can use in the nonprofit industry. And I have uh, elves that are uh, part of the teams. I have scrum masters that work um, with Santa pays it forward and We've actually, I say, we've quadrupled um, the amount of work that we've produced every year because we implemented Scrum. And honestly, I, I can't say enough for it. I can't say enough for the, the individuals that come from banks, they come from construction, they come from um, nursing homes, and a lot of them are not IT folks. They're, they're not even really in the government sector either. These are just individuals that have come to the organization and volunteer their time, and they've adopted Agile. Now, I will admit in the beginning, I actually didn't use the Agile terms. And I more or less used um, just basically words that everyone could understand. And, and di- I didn't want to scare anyone away. And through the years, they, they said, you know, is, someone asked me, they said, would you say what we do at Santa Pays It, we call it Spiff. Santa Pays It Forward, um, would you, is that scrum? And so I smiled and, and I said, yes, you're the scrum master. And I said, you know what, I'm finally going to use the words. Let, let's, let's not be afraid of our craft. And we began to actually train and coach these individuals in their roles, and they loved it. And it's like I said, we've we've quadrupled the amount of individuals that we help every year as of 2016. So that again, where is Agile going? It's going to into organizations that are beyond IT. It's going into the unknown. It's helping the education system. Uh, growing up with a, uh, my mother taught special ed for 35 years, and actually that's where my true passion is. I I love education. I love improving the way we, we learn, the way we teach. And Agile, again, is just not in IT. We really need to get it in our schools. I work with the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, um, again, with Santa Pays It Forward, and they're also implementing Agile and how they they get things done and how they give back to the community. And they love it. It's just so much fun to see these kids so passionate because what we've done is we've taught our kids that let's sit behind a desk and be confined. In fact... During an offline conversation that we just had together, I said, oh my gosh, I'm sitting down. I feel confined. It's not my normal space. You know, individuals and interactions. I mean, that, that really is a powerful thing. How can you put a kid behind a desk and tell them to sit there all day? We need to have shorter times. We need to have teams. We need to put teams in the schools. And that's where Agile's going. It's going into our education. We're, we're improving the way we teach kids. We're showing them that let's put down the phones, let's put down the electronics. Honestly, get away from the TV. Go out with some individuals and learn something together. Share your ideas, grow your ideas, and that's definitely where agile's going. It's it's not just in the office space anymore. It it really is growing, and I think it's endless. And I and I hope that coaches understand that too. Let's not just be in an IT industry, let's not just be in the Google industry or the Facebook industry. We really need to expand out into healthcare, hospitals. I have nurses. Actually, I have a. I'm meeting with um, a hospital in Maryland next week, and because of Santa Pays It Forward, they they really want to understand how they can implement using Scrum, in a hospital setting. And so the the doctors and the nurses are planning to work on an agile transformation.
0: That's awesome, Kim. Uh, One last question we like to ask too is, um, you know, over the next six months to a year, what does the future hold in store for Kim? And I know we have the Scrum Gathering coming up, so you could feel free to talk a little bit about that as well.
2: Yes, absolutely. We are having uh, Scrum Alliance's largest global gathering is being held in San Diego, April 10th through the 12th. Uh, The first day we'll be having sessions. We actually have um we have your we have uh your basic tracks you your beginner in advance as well as we're implementing something new this year so we have your scholars as well as we have a community track so that's something that's interesting um a lot of CECs and CSTs have said you know there's just nothing for me there there I really need something to um you know blow my mind away so we, we sat down and thought about it, and it's like, so what can we provide to the CST community? We really want to give back to them, too. We want them to in, you know, get something out of the global gathering. So we're bringing some pretty powerful speakers to the table this year. So, um, again, there's something for everyone. We also focus on first-time attendees. An interesting story. I don't think you're going to remember this, but I met you both in Phoenix. It was my first Scrum Alliance gathering. And I met you both in the elevator. Uh, Steven may or may not have had a cocktail. I can't remember.
0: I don't drink. <laughs> Wait, my side is busting. <laughs> that was sarcasm.
2: Okay. Uh, but I met you both in the elevator, and I had no idea that you were the chairs for the gathering, to be quite honest. But you were fun. You were, you were so much fun. You you were engaging. You were welcoming. and then someone's like, oh, those are the chairs. And I'm like, well, what's that? I had no idea. Um, and then you got up there and I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. And yeah, yeah. And I don't know, you kind of, you really intrigued me. And I said, I said to that day, right when you were on stage, in fact, you were taking your selfie picture, I said, I'm going to do that. That's going to be me. I want to do that. And the reason why, is because it was my first time and I that was the one thing I'd have to say was missing at for most events was if you're traveling alone or if you're uh, attending a gathering of such and you know maybe some people are introverts and extroverts but what's going on is the communication there is how can I meet people and it's easy for extroverts it's easy for myself but not for everybody and I saw that so I, I saw people that were talking by the You know, I'm not talking. They were off by themselves. And I'm like, I want to change that. I I really want to make sure that we have something that really captures these first time attendees that enables them to have these type of interactions where they can share ideas, talk about what um, talks they want to go to. And so one of the things we're doing this year is we're going to have a lifeguard shack. It's a safe environment. This is where first-time attendees can go and they meet other individuals. We also have volunteers that are there. So there's always someone to talk to. There's always something going on. And it's just a cool, fun place. It's somewhere where you can say, you know, hey, it's a toss-up between this speaker and that speaker. Not that the individual, meaning the volunteer that's going to be there, will answer, you know, oh, you should go to this person over this person. They're going to be there to to ask you questions and find out what – help them to, to lead them in a direction that they should go. And you know we're gonna have little meetups and we're also gonna have um, agile coffees in the morning and we also have a mediation room. So there's something for everybody. And then let our next new thing, and please everyone be open to change, but open space is not on day three, it is on day two. And so for everyone out there that usually tends to head off on, on the third day, I just ask you to have an open mind for this open space because it's definitely going to be very innovative and a lot of fun. And I think everyone will get something out of it this year, which means that on day three, we will have our, all of our sessions and we'll come to a close. So I'm looking forward to it. Vic Bonacci and I um, are just ecstatic. And I do have to thank both of you because I don't think if I would have went to Phoenix, I probably would not be here today.
1: Cool. So you're saying that our goofiness in an elevator inspired you to like run a thousand plus person conference.
2: Yeah,
0: that's great. Well, Kim, thank you for uh, agreeing to be on the show and letting us talk to you for a little bit, get to know you a little bit better and share your perspective with the rest of the world.
2: All right, wonderful. Well thank you guys. I appreciate it and looking forward to seeing you all in San Diego.
0: Next time on Agile next. We have Rafael Sabah. A big Agile Next thank you to our sponsors, Fresco Capital and Applebrook Consulting. Visit Fresco Capital at frescocapital.com and Applebrook Consulting at apple-brook.com. We hope to see you next week on Agile Next. In the meantime, check out our website at agilenext.tv.